I saw you spying on me earlier. No, I wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow? Good. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. There's a message in the music. Really think you're gonna find a hidden message in a pop song? One, two, three. Can't quite see it, but I'm close. Honey, how are you? Mom, I'm fine, mostly fine. Um, why do we assume that all of this information is what we're told it is? Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful, communicating things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. Yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little. Welcome to Purgatory. Good to be here. You're living in a carnival, hoping to win a prize. What are you gonna win? Under the Silver Lake. Nice, violent femmes. All right, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza. This is our last Movie Noir Extravaganza episode. You're um, welcome. <laughs> and of course, this is Christina Oak's pick. Uh, she likes Andrew Garfield. Slipped it in there before I realized it was an Andrew Garfield movie, or I would have vetoed it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but of course, uh, Christina is I'm Christina on Twitch. Uh, Jay Underworld is, is is with us. He's an illustrator, artist, uh, Ben Burgess associate, um, and uh, you know. Yeah, and of course, we have Bonnie Burton, an author, journalist, comedian, and show host. She's appeared on a variety of web shows and podcasts, was the former senior editor and social media strategist for StarWars.com, and is the current writer and showrunner for Hunt a Killer. And Hunt a Killer has, has great ads. I say that every time, but I... Uh... You guys want a sneak peek of something I'm not supposed to show? Yeah. Ooh. Yes, 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 yes. This is the game that I just show ran. It's a murder of a rodeo clown. Yes. It comes, out, it comes out next year. So it's, I'm pretty excited for that. I know Bailey Searing does a lot of like Hunt a Killer uh, promos for sure. Yeah, but, uh, she's one of our biggest uh, influencer affiliate people. So she's, I, I mean, anything her. she says, I'm pretty sure. Like if she started a cult, I would join it. Yes, same. We we watch her we watch her dark history podcast on my Twitch streams every like Friday or Saturday, depending. Yeah, on she does through. a really good job with those. Um, I think the most recent one is the dark history of boy bands, but um, she's done so many really cool ones that like I just always learn a lot, and she's also very like Bailey. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's not like you're 
it doesn't feel like you're you have to pay attention. Like I don't know. It's it's kind of like it reminds me of drunk history a little bit. Yeah. You get real history, but it's you know from drunk people. Yeah. So it's more entertaining. So it's a bit more thinking of drunkenness. Yeah. I just um I could say this is bourbon, but it's really just iced tea. Or is it? Or is it? That's the mystery. But uh speaking is this of this all water the, uh, or vodka. Speaking of the <laughs> speaking of the dark history of boy bands, you know, that's a perfect uh segue into segue under the for you? Um <laughs> You know, because of course we have the uh, the songwriter who's written every every hit song uh, of all time, pretty much. And heartbreaking scene, I think, when you find out that he's the one that wrote Nirvana and uh, or you know, uh, smells like Teen Spirit, and you find out he also wrote "I Want It That Way" and uh, <laughs> and yeah. around long enough that he also you know wrote like classical music, which is kind of. Can I, I, I say know. I okay. am I am one hundred percent obsessed with this movie. I've seen it probably 10 or 11 times. And I watched it again before we did this. And when I first moved to LA from San Francisco, I was like, Oh, LA is not as quirky as San Francisco. This could be lame. It's just shallow real housewives. It's going to be boring. And then I watched under silver. Like, and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to check this out. So I went to like every single like area this was filmed at and like joined <laughs> These like Reddit groups of people <laughs> join Jesus in the in the bride. might as well have been a cult. Yeah, it's it's like a cult within a cult within a cult, and uh, uh, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with this movie. So I'm, thank you for inviting me to talk about it. But also, I might get a little uh, OCD annoying. So if I'm a little attention deficit, it's okay to interrupt me at any time. <laughs> I right. do have a question um, for people who've seen this multiple times. Would it have been better if Barry Manilow played the uh, the songwriter? Because no. he did write the songs. No. <laughs> no, that would been... no, I'm going to say no. Maybe Dolly Parton. Yeah. Oh, but she didn't doing. write the songs. I don't care. I mean, she wrote Joe Lee, and it's a great song. This is a movie. But... This is a movie. You can do yeah. whatever you want. You could play like a sweetheart, but also will would we'll, we'll definitely kill you if she could. Or maybe Willie Nelson. That would be good too. Oh man, yeah. I would, it would be pretty funny if he had entered in the room and it was Willie Nelson, and he's like, like "Oh shit, Willie Nelson, the songwriter." I, I want it that way. That way would make more sense if it was him because he's like, you know, he's an icon, but also, you know, he's he predates Snoop Dogg and in, in Pot, and uh, yeah, he's a mysterious dude. Like he's he got some, I'm sure he's got some secrets that are interesting. So I, I was just to... thinking, you know, you know, since uh, you know Conan's not here, we could have Barry Manilow rock in a Conan jacket, like he does, and um, <laughs> uh, you know, we he wrote the songs, he sang that in the '70s. I mean, he, yeah, I don't know. I always <laughs> recast movies all the time. I mean, Garfield's very good in this, but also he's just such a weird actor because he's kind of like the Gen Z Ralph Macchio and the fact that he doesn't age. Or I guess yes. Paul Rudd. He's like Paul Rudd. He doesn't age at all. And it's it's weird. He's going to be 40. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, he does not he does not look or seem 40. He's in that true crime uh serialized show under what was it called Under the Under the Banner Heaven. Under the Banner Heaven about the real life uh true crime stories about the radical uh Latter day Saints. And he's a dad in this but it's yeah, so, so weird. He's, he's under like the Banner Heaven, under the Silver mm -hmm. Lake, and under the Tobey Maguire. He's under a lot of stuff. <laughs> he's under a lot of stuff. Anyway, 
In this movie, he's uh, he's under a lot of stuff too. Let me t- let me tell you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, never, you uh, I've never I've never I've never wanted to see Spider Man bang, but now I have. Well, there you go. In all his glory. Um. Yeah, I will. I will say that this movie has such a cult following here in LA that you can take tours. Uh. There are actual tours of this movie. You can oh, that's awesome! Yeah, well, I mean, it's an LA, it's an LA uh, native kind of uh, interpretation of LA, and I think that that's kind of interesting. Well, thing to... it isn't. It isn't like it's kind of like the LA you wish existed, mm. and it does exist, but it takes a lot of work to find it. Whereas when I moved to San Francisco in the nineties, that San Francisco in the nineties was, was crazy weird already. Like you could just go to any neighborhood and be weirded out. Like I remember I lived in the mission district in 90, I think it was like 96. And I lived next to this guy who was a Salvador Dali lookalike called the red man. And he was an artist that was like in his fifties and he would paint his entire body red and he would wear red tuxedos, like all red suits, red, like, like like boots like he, but he was an artist and he would always get free drinks at this place called uh the lone palm which is a great bar in in the mission district and i didn't have to look for him you know what i mean that was san francisco was just weird now it's not now it's all tech bros and meth heads but back mm-hmm. in the 90s and early aughts san francisco was really Those are different strange. groups I would assume that that's largely, they have a big intersection. Oh, no. Oh, no. You don't know the joys of living in a neighborhood full of homeless meth head and tech bros until you, like, have to. Uh, do they hang a, out? They have to hang out, right? Like, no, they do don't. Not, they do really? not, and it's fun to watch them try to kill each other. Anyway, that's why I'm in L.A. <laughs> so when I moved to L.A., I was like, oh, surely there's, like, weird-ass cults here. And, like, no, you have to search for drag queens. They don't just pop up. And you have to search for, like weirdo shit and a lot of it is sort of in the hipster neighborhoods because i'm in north hollywood in the non-gentrified section so i'm like not really where the cool hipster stuff is but i also like how this movie makes fun of cool hipsters too because that party that we'll get to at some point i'm sure uh the swimming pool party uh towards the end well towards the middle of the movie or end of the movie it's that is la that is actually la like that's when you think of LA. That's LA, where it's just the, like the chess party. Universe. The uh, the party at the the chess party that they're all just kind of playing chess at fucking Jesus's house and no, the pool party. The yeah, no, 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 towards the end where he beats the girl. oh, where where he meets where he meets his, where his ex girlfriend is. There's a bunch of parties in this movie. He's, there are. He's I mean, that's LA too. Is you a lot of partying, parties. a lot of after parties, <laughs> a lot of after parties forever. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I think that it's interesting that in doing research about this, um, they, they made it clear that this is like David Mitchell's L.A. Like, this is the L.A. that yeah. he thinks of, I guess. And he is someone that does seem to be very tuned into that whole world. Like, the hipster kind of thing. Like, um, I mean, his movies are always kind of cast with that whole Gen Z kind of mm-hmm. crowd. Like, so it, it's kind of it's interesting to see his version of that. Because going through uh, this noir month, right? Like we talked about um, LA Confidential. We talked about, uh, you know, Chinatown. We talked about, I mean, we've talked about Sunset Boulevard before on this podcast. Like, so the LA noir is a very- Did you guys do Mulholland Drive? No, we didn't. That was on the list oh. and then it just got, it got cut. Yeah, because David Lynch's it. LA is very different than this. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of hard choices and that was one of them. I mean, cause I am, I am a big fan of David Lynch's anything. Uh, 
I I don't know if John Watt did John yeah I guess John Waters did an LA movie did he do that with Cecil B. Demented oh, was that uh, his yeah, LA yeah. movie I think yeah, so. yeah 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 that was so one of his later like, movies right that was like in the 90s yeah like I don't now. has Wes Anderson done an LA movie he's more of a Budapest not. guy <laughs> well I know the reason I bring this up is very distinct directors right yeah. have their own vision of what LA is and it's always drastically different from each other so. And I mean, the Coen brothers kind of as like, you know, the, the premier directors of, of this age, it feels like a lot of times, um, like they've yeah. done several different LA movies where yeah. they, it always takes place, like whether it's Barton Fink or whether it's, um, Oh, that's a good uh, one. Hail that's Caesar. a good screenwriter movie. That's a good like type. Yeah. Movie. And, yeah. and this, this kind of feels like screenwriter adjacent almost because like, you know, I mean, he's in like this music scene, I guess. Everybody seems to have a band in this movie. Everybody yeah. seems to have a band. Yeah. By the way, that's what San Francisco was like in the 90s. Because I was in two bands. Really bad bands, by the way. And it was... Uh, <laughs> you could throw a rock and you would either hit someone with a band or someone with a zine. And uh, in LA now, if you throw a rock, you'll hit someone with a podcast slash YouTube show. Or uh, someone who thinks they're an influencer but isn't. <laughs> or you throw a rock and you hit screenwriters. And I'm I'm one of like those just people. six screenwriters all standing outside waiting for work. Yeah, well, like before COVID, I used to go to this place called Republic of Pie, which is a really cool coffee house that has good pie. It's like it's kind of like I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like a hipster ground zero in North Hollywood, but it's just full of out of work screenwriters, basically. <laughs> well, um, what's the line from uh, from Barton Fink where he goes, a screenwriter, another one. You know, exactly. we always need Indians because he, he, he's trying to cast him as an extra instead of a screenwriter. Can I tell you a funny, quick funny story? The first yeah. time I got jury duty, I was in a pool of jurors and we were all screenwriters. So every time the judge asked us what our job was, we said screenwriter, screenwriter, screenwriter. And that judge <laughs> ended up transferring out of the LA court. Being like, well, I can't do this that anymore. Will, that will get you out of jury duty if you say you are a journalist, because they don't want you to, on the side, report about the, the court case you're going to be on. Or if you say you're a true crime fanatic, because <laughs> I said I was, and I also said I was currently writing a spec script for Law and Order. So this would be perfect if I could get jury duty for some like real life dialogue. And the lawyers <laughs> looked at me like we can't have her on this jury. <laughs> and then I remember when I got excused, I'm like, does this mean I I can still get on a jury, or am I excused? Excused? And the judge was like, why? He's like, do you want to be on a jury? I'm like, if I can get on a murder trial, that would be great. <laughs> You can't, you can't, re oh, no, the judge you can't request. Like, you're not Netflix. You're request. Judge, judge, put me in the game. Um, you know, I was like, is there a cannibal? Is there a cannibal trial coming up? Is there something to do with cults? I would love to get on a cult trial. Like, he, I guess I acted more like it was a Netflix, like, oh, one of that, like good time. Anyway. I just, so, yeah, I that's, just a imagine, that's a great way. That's a great way. I just, I just imagine uh, uh, Ryan Murphy, the American Horror Story guy, doing that, like just hanging out at a courthouse, being like, "Can you I get on a trial?" And they're, like, they're like, "Get out of here, Ryan Murphy." Well, I do remember I got out of a trial jury once uh, in San Francisco because George Lucas and I were both on the jury trial things, and they because George just shows up, he just. He's a normal guy. Like, he'll just be like, yeah, I, I was called for jury duty. I'll show up. 
and they excused him because he was so busy and they got to me and I'm like, he's my boss. <laughs> so can I be excused? <laughs> and they didn't believe me and they brought him back in. He's like, yeah, she works at Lucasville. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, boss. Thanks, George. Um, so this is so this is a, a clip of uh, Andrew Garfield talking oh, yeah. about um, you know the the script like seeing reading the script for the first time. Okay, and uh, you know it, it kind of sucked that this movie came out like in 2018, and then I guess they were doing the the um, like the circuit in 2019, and then of course yeah, right you know, before COVID. Yeah, so yeah. it seems like a lot of the stuff either got cut short or it wasn't filmed or whatever because I, I looked for stuff and there isn't as much as you There's think. Not there. a lot. Yeah. No. Can you talk? Can you talk us through your first meeting with David? How, how how did he sell this film to you? He didn't really need to sell it. I I had seen it follows, which I loved, and I'd seen Myth of the American Sleepover, which I loved. I was shooting a very different film with Mel Gibson, and uh, and uh, I was in the middle of World War Two in Okinawa, kind of thing. And uh, and and I skyped with David after having read the script, which is pretty much page for page word for word, almost, um, scene for scene, description for description. He's so meticulous, he is so particular, it was 40 pages longer than any other script I've ever read, including an Aaron Sorkin script. And I, I thought, this is, this is a guy that knows what he wants. And I, I find that very attractive. And also, I, I, I read it and I, just, and, I, and I saw myself as a 14-year-old boy. Um, with 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 all of my dysfunction, um, but this character happened to be in his mid thirties and slightly regressed and a little bit lost and confused. And I I thought this is like the Goonies. This is like if Mikey from the Goonies just had stayed fourteen for the rest of his life um, and never got laid and um, uh, was kind of a, a, a regressed uh, adventurer who 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 never moved on from. From, from childhood and, and long, longing for mystery and meaning and, and, and kind of got stuck in himself. And uh, I thought that was cool. Um, uh, and, and, and it was funny. I found it really funny. And I, um, and I, I also found it incredibly intriguing. I didn't get it and I wanted to, I wanted to get it. In that first um, scene, that first uh, like piece of film where it says, Beware the dog killer behind, and I'm, I'm I'm, look, I'm looking longingly at um, any woman, uh, <laughs> and uh, that the, the may or may, may not reject me. Um, and I look at this. I look at the boy, the dog killer thing. I, I did. I we did a lot of different takes, and every single take, I said, "Look, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna play it different every single time, just internally. I'm gonna do one take where I know I'm a dog killer. I'm gonna do one take where I am the dog killer, but I don't know I'm a dog killer because I kill dogs in my sleep. I'm gonna do one. I'm gonna do one take." Where I I have no interest in who the dog killer is, and he was like, great, I'll just pick the one that that I like, and and, and uh, so so it really was this kind of very free form, dreamlike, and as you and like the film is, it feels like a dream, I think, uh, or a nightmare, or a kind of a, a dream there. Um, so yeah, uh, I can listen to that man talk all day long. <laughs> Well, so I so I watched the movie differently a second time because of Watley listening to that and then hearing like, um, you know, where, where he where he says he did it as if he was the dog killer in his sleep, like because I didn't even think about that as a possibility. Um, yeah. I mean, he has those dreams obviously where like everybody's barking at him and like every like there's 
you know, dog bodies and he, he comes across the body of a dog at one point. But like, I didn't think about like, oh, what if he is the dog killer until I listened to that? And then I tried to watch it differently to see if like there were clues. There aren't, there aren't really, I don't think, but like, you know, it was still, it's still an interesting, uh, cause that part of the story never gets resolved and it never really gets explored. Like, yeah, you kind of well, get stonewalled by it. Some, some of the criticisms of this movie is that it's too, like David Lynch esque for the sake of being like David Lynch esque in the way that's like people are like I don't know what this movie's about I don't know what the plot is the motive is blah 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 blah, blah. and I'm like, well I mean that's the point right like yes the it's ambiguity the, the, yes. the ambiguity is is what's at the center of it right and like all of these mysteries don't really need to get solved uh, like you know for what for whatever reason you want to put into it but but in the end it comes down to ambiguity and it comes down to having to be okay with the fact that things need to be ambiguous. Yeah. Um, at the end of it and we don't like that as audiences a lot of times like it's a I very think, i i don't want to be spoon-fed stuff so i think that's yeah. probably why i gravitated towards this movie i mean it is one of my favorite modern movies like i really do love it and i think what the way i the way i critique a movie is if i can watch it and every time i find something new or something i discover I will like the movie even more. And I'm like that with Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner. Even to, I've watched that movie easily 500, 600 times in my lifetime. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I never noticed that. Which is, maybe I'm just not observant. <laughs> but I will say with this movie, <clears throat> I did listen carefully during the fireworks scene. And yes, it is Morris code that the fireworks are in. And that yeah. is something that's an interesting thing that you wouldn't know. Unless you went down a Reddit deep dive. And yeah, I didn't know that either. But that, a, that lot makes of, a lot of um, people that's like those who who you know since this movie has developed the cult following, a lot of people have been trying to like decipher like what the little codes and little messages and meanings are in the film itself. Yeah, I mean the graffiti in the toilets—that's a code. It's a—it's called a copial uh, cipher. Yeah. I this is one of three thousand cipher books I have. Because <laughs> I, I work at Hunt a Killer, our the way we do our games is we have to have I think three or four different ciphers and codes embedded in the story, and we have to make them up. So for like the rodeo one, I had a special code that's only we only use cow branding symbols, and that's the code, and you have to figure it out. Uh, for uh, the Agatha Christie game that I did, which was the first game, uh, Murder at Hunter's Lodge, I came up with the idea that maybe we should use hobo code, which was something that was used after World War One. And that is a great code. And it's almost kind of reminiscent of the dancing men in Sherlock Holmes. So I am like, any movie that's got a code, I am down. I am down. And this movie has so many. And here's the thing, too. I realize this movie gets ridiculous with its codes and with its conspiracy theories. But that's the whole point of the movie. That it's, like a, it's like a way more low-key uh Da Vinci Code. Because, well, <laughs> like, like, like Alice in Wonderland, right? He falls down a hole of conspiracy, and he's he is Alice in Alice in Wonderland. Like, he is trying to discover uh, what's going on, and it's all these codes and all these ciphers and all these weird things going on, all these weird people that he stumbles across. All because so, of a girl. All because of my twin. I know you are uncannily look like her. Like it's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah. The wig helps because I like wearing wigs. So this this blonde wig really helps out a lot. And I always do those celebrity lookalikes and I always get her. I will say that I really did like the beginning of the movie with her. Yeah. Uh, because it is frame by frame Marilyn Monroe and something's got to give in the yep. swimming pool scene. 
And yep. a lot of people don't know that. Another thing of this movie, it's not just codes and great characters and great actors, great cast, but it pays homage to a lot of movies that yeah. unless you're a big movie fan, you might not realize. I mean, that was Marilyn Monroe's last movie before she died. Yeah. <laughs> which which means, conspiracy which, theories. Which, uh, in the after party, she's going to be joining us. Marilyn Monroe at 90. <laughs> that makes sense for like that pool scene, like to be almost like one of the last times we like, I mean, we first are introduced to her, but it's also like, you know, we're, we're not going to, it's also shows like foreshadowing that we're probably not going to yeah. see much of her later on in the film. Yeah. And it's also mysterious how she goes away. So it yeah. is kind of a parallel to Marilyn Monroe in her last film. But the, the other thing too, that I loved was how they uh, were doing a homage to uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, like, in the graveyard. And then, no, no, no. Before then, like, like you, you could see Vertigo and oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rindo and some other stuff. And then like, like basically, like, like you know, uh, instead of like telling you, like, you know, like, like you know, to get to the graveyard, you see the Hitchcock gravestone. It's like, yes, yeah, stupid. We all know it's Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Get over yourself. Let's let's dig but deeper. I will tell yeah. you, I think I know why they did that in that particular scene. <clears throat> As a very LA thing to do to go see a movie at that famous graveyard because they, and granted, this is all before COVID, right? So in the before times. <laughs> they do it still. They just dig the graves. And well, yeah, now they just push them in. Yeah, now you just, you just buy your grave while you're there. Yep. Uh, yeah, the way they do that, it's a, it's a Undertaker really is standing by. <laughs> you stab them, we slab them. No, it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a really popular thing, but it's also kind of a hipster thing to go to. By the way, if you want to hit, if you want to throw a rock and hit like fifty screenwriters, that's definitely the place to do it because they have these outdoor movie nights at the uh, this famous cemetery in L.A. and people try to like they will. <laughs> I've seen it happen. They will take selfies with their favorite gravestones, but they also try to like just hang out there to hook up with people of fans of the same gravestone, which I would have thought was very goth because I'm a recovering goth. I've picked up boys and girls and I shouldn't say boys and girls, men and women <laughs> <laughs> in cemeteries. I know how it works, but this is an LA thing. It's not a goth thing. So it was just very, to see that in the movie being depicted, but also being openly mocked. I can, here's the thing with this movie. Half the time I can't tell. And I've, yeah, I've seen it many times can't tell if they're mocking it or paying homage to it because there's a fine line between parody and homage right there's a fine line between making fun of hipsters and then just showing them and so yeah, i mean I don't, it almost doesn't matter at some point because if you show hipsters you're inevitably mocking them. Also, I mean, but, and, but he's a hipster too though that's the yeah, thing like yeah. he may not be a rich hipster but he's still a hipster <laughs> Well, also, and, this movie and, uh, does have noir elements, but there there's some like noir elements that are clearly missing. Like you have the mystery element, obviously. Uh, but even the, some of the cinematography is very noir-ish. But like that femme fatale character is definitely yeah. not really there. Like you would think Riley Keough would be, but she's more like the girl next door type of figure. You know, yeah. so well, he's, he's kind of almost invented. I think he's almost invented like a femme, like a yeah, I mean, at least somebody to, to chase across, right? Because in the end, it turns out like like the, the line where she's like but i barely know you like that like you it, it didn't click for me because uh i mean it did, it did click for me but like when she says that i'm like yeah you guys hung out like one time like you hung out one time you're gonna hang out the next day like this guy is i will say that's definitely like white dude straight straight white dude confidence 
that it's yeah. like, oh, we met once you're my soulmate and I'm forever going to be stalking you now. That's I, was Andrew Garfield doing that to me. I'd be like, I mean, I wouldn't would. complain. Uh, but if it I'm was Leo, like, I'm a Libra, we're soulmates in the Zodiac. So I'm like, stalk away, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, but if away. it was like, if it wasn't him casting the role, if it was like Steve Buscemi, though, I would give a pass for Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I think of someone creepy? Uh, Paul Rubens, right? Like a Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> after after watching Fargo again, now I'm imagining. I don't know. Like I'm imagining confronting good. Steve Buscemi about that. He's like, "I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. I'm not going to debate." <laughs> and I, and I, I'm attracted to odd-looking dudes. So for me, that's not like I'm not. I don't do Hollywood handsome. I do weird character actors. That's what I'm into. So well, he's just I kind of funny say looking. That Garfield and, and, would be like too weird, too pretty, too pretty. But he's just kind of funny looking in a, you know, in a, in a, in a <laughs> kind of way. I, don't I know. do like, I like Ricky's character. I think I liked her more than I liked the femme fatale of, of Riley. Right. Cause she's, she's like his, uh, I don't want to say girl Friday. Cause she's not, she's her own woman. She's her own character, but I really liked her a lot. And I like her as an actress in general. And, and um, we have similar friends. So I know that she just gave birth and I like. I always like comment on her Instagram like a weirdo and say cute baby, but she's like a great actress. She is such a good comedic actress too. So like seeing her in this movie was interesting to see her in a different kind of role. Than yeah, I'm, I'm used to seeing her in uh, in Garfunkel and Oates like that. Uh, yeah, that but she was also in that movie uh, Ready or Not, where she plays uh, the sister-in-law. Um, yeah, that, uh, she, also, she was also in that in that um Comedy Central show where they where they were like it was her and Natasha Leggero. Oh, I think. was it the Plantation? Yeah, they Richardson, were like they're like Victorian, but... they're like Victorian era. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, she is a very interesting actress. So her in this role was uh, it's almost like a Parker Posey kind of character. Like I really liked her a lot, but. At the same time, you know, how he treats women in this movie is very interesting because he comes across a lot of different kinds of women um, and a lot of archetypes that he's built up in his own head. And when he meets up with his ex at that party, to me, that's like quintessential oh. scene. I love that so much. Awkward. <laughs> Awkward, right? But also... They don't, they don't spoon feed you that either. Like, they, like no. you, don't, you don't ever really realize until he meets her again that, like, that's his ex and yeah. then he's going through that and it's kind of it's interesting because you, you kind of see his entire um i i think he and and the sarah character like uh uh riley keogh like like I, I think they're kind of opposites right like she's uh kind of just good with her fate and her fate is that she's gonna you know either ascend or not you don't really know but like she's under the earth and she's like he's like you know you're gonna die down there and she's just like thinks about it for a minute it's like I guess I'll make the best of it, which is the exact opposite thing that I think, um, or, you know, kind of is the, the thing that Sam, uh, I guess that's Andrew Garfield's character is, is yeah. trying to, um, he, he can't like, he can't make the best of anything, right? Like he's about to lose his apartment. He doesn't want to work, which I mean, I feel him, uh, honestly, like that's just like you for real. Yeah. But, but he doesn't want to work. He's back at home. Well, he's also lost, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't really know he he's without purpose. And this, gives she gives him purpose yeah. so suddenly when he has purpose it is kind of like the you know the joseph campbell's hero's journey archetype where he now has a quest and this quest just happens to be her 
and the quest happens to be like nobody wants him to uh kind of follow this up and you know i think that's a common noir thing right like uh, the detective or you know the character that's trying to solve the the mystery or something nobody really wants them to and then at the end you know they they get all the way through it and they're like all right well i solved something in this nobody wants him to and then he finally finds her she's not dead and she's also like why did you do this? This is kind so you of. You guys a- probably already know this, but what is the? Ugh, I should have looked this up so I sounded smart, but I'm too lazy. Um, thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a black and white movie. It's about a cop that is trying to find this beautiful woman uh, because she's gone missing. She's rich. She has a, a portrait of her in her apartment. She he spends all time trying to find her, and then once he finds her, he falls in love with her. But it's such a it's a classic noir movie. Cannot remember the name of it to save my life. Uh, Let me try to Google. I don't. I I can't think of it. It's not a Lana Turner movie. You took the class, dude. You should know. Is it a Veronica Lake film? (laughs) No, but close. You're getting in the right realm. Uh, Of a blonde. She's brunette. Red. Well, I guess a redhead, not a blonde. Not Rita Hayworth. It might. Yeah, it is. Okay. Rita Hayworth. Yes. If only we had a device to look up movies. Sorry, I'm just. I'm, I'm I'm in the process of trying to look it up. Uh. Um, anyway, I don't want to stall us, but this is what this movie reminded me of. It's not Gilda, is it? Yes. Oh, it is. I think so. Oh no, wow! Yeah, that was like her. That was one of her favorite, her best known that, No, 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 that's not that one. That's a different one. I think it's right before that. Anyway, it's basically she goes on the land. She goes on land because she's. I think she's dating a married man or something, but this cop is convinced that she's going to die. That, that you know, cover girl, huh? Cover girl? No. Anyway, my point is, it it it, it takes a lot from that, which is not a Hitchcock movie, um, though it feels like it should be. I mean, when you watch a lot of noir movies from that time period, they all kind of blend into each other after a while, unless they have very recognizable actors and actresses in them because of that whole like. There's the femme fatale, but there's also the, you know, the missing perfect girl, right? That's like, in this movie specifically, you know, he thinks he's found his soulmate. He thinks he's found the perfect girl and he only got to be with her for one night and then she's gone missing. And then he makes it his entire quest to find her again, not even thinking that maybe she doesn't want to be found or maybe she doesn't like, maybe she's a free spirit, you know, like maybe she doesn't need to be rescued, and it's very much that archetype of the dude trying to rescue the girl that doesn't need rescuing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Which, I, I don't know. I, I think, think there I, should be more. I think there should be more stuff about that. Like more. I feel like more movies should kind of center something like that because. The lady from Shanghai with uh, Orson Welles. No. No, that's a. I'll that's find, a, that's it. I'll find it. You guys go ahead and talk. I'll find the name of the movie. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I. I just. Um. I. I think that more stuff should have that kind of thing because I think it's always kind of interesting when at the end of the quest it's not fulfilled and it's just like why the fuck did you do this like it's kind of pointless but i you know as someone that's in i mean i'm significantly younger than andrew garfield but like you know as someone that's uh kind of 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 the millennial generation i guess like it's a very i mean it's a common feeling to have that kind of not really know what you want to do like everything kind of feels really depressing around you like this movie captures really well like with the dog i'm gonna give you a little secret gen xers are the same exactly (laughs) <laughs> yeah well I, I think it's a common thing in general and i think yeah. the age that people kind of figure shit out is getting uh older and older right like and sometimes they don't sometimes yeah. also the the thing is sometimes the end of your movie you still haven't figured it out you know what i mean like 
you don't get these great answers the older you get. Sometimes it just gets even more confusing. Oh, so of course we played the trailer. I want to talk about the song that is used in the trailer. Never yes, My Love please. by The Association, which came out in 1967. It's one of the most beloved love songs of all time. The lyrics and it was written really... by the songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so the... was the uh, Violent Femme song that's also in the trailer. Too yeah. bad Conan's not here, but um, I I'll do my best, Conan. Um, so, the lyrics, <laughs> so the lyrics go, you know, you ask me if there comes a time when I grow tired of you. Never my love. Never my love. You wonder if this heart of mine will lose its desire for you. Never my love. Never my love. What made you think love will end when you know my whole life depends on you? So well, wow. there's a, there's, there's a, a message in the music. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> I mean, he's literally dropping whatever, whatever he's doing with his life and he's find some purpose. And he's like, I'm obsessed with this girl. I need to find her. So obviously using that song in the trailer makes this nice whimsical love song about obsession in a way. Yeah. When it's really not, it's just, it's like a great love song to like dance to at your wedding reception. Yeah. Um, and then, like added up also, you know, the lyrics to that one, you know, works too. Cause it's like, can I get just one kiss? Why, why can't yeah. I get just one kiss? Why can't I get just one kiss? Um, and then, you yeah, know, they like, barely even kiss. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, well, also, that's a creepy song. Well, I mean, come on, maybe a violent femme song. Like an incel creepy. song. That's well, all that's like all their songs are a creepy incel song. Well, but, yeah, but I mean, if you really catchy. But it's also kind of funny because, like, when you think of a lot of the most popular songs played at weddings, a lot of them are like "Every Breath You Take." That's a stalker song. Yeah. Well, I mean, the I mean, valid the valid is about a uprising in in uh, South America, isn't it? I, I, I find the vows themselves to be like kind of creepy at so a wedding. Death, it was you know I mean? like, yeah. In sickness I mean, and health or death, like I. So I find the entire uh, kind of I, I find the entire spectacle of a wedding kind of macabre. Um, myself, I don't know. I, I kind of find. I'm it, just gonna uh, tell you right now. Uh, the reason bridesmaids dresses all look the same is originally they were supposed to be decoys. Yes. For murders. Did Did, did you know that? Uh, uh, I went That's to a true. wedding. I went to a what? costume wedding. I went to a costume wedding where the uh, the guy doing the vows actually said like nobody's getting off the stage without saying I do as the uh, for uh, ah. um uh, as the furthest bridesmaid from the bride um. You know that you're here to do, uh, be as a decoy, as in ancient Germany. Uh, so in case wolves attack the wedding party, um, the, the bridesmaid would throw uh, themselves to the wolves to spare the bride so she could be with her husband on her wedding night. Do you? So that, that's got to be like a German. That's got to be a German, a German like Bavarian tradition then. I, like, because uh, I feel like I feel like Germans are the ones always getting attacked by wolves. I I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that the ugly braids, bridesmaids dresses, they were all supposed to look originally like the bride, not, you know what I mean? So they were supposed to mimic the bride. So in case anyone was coming after. Okay. So the name of the movie is Laura. Uh, and it was not, um, it was not who I thought it was. It was Jean Turney, 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 Jean Tierney, Turn Jean Tierney. Uh, this is a picture from it. So you see oh, the, yeah. the painting. That's the cop that's trying to find her because she's gone missing. Um, sure, I've seen it. The movie's called Laura, and I highly recommend it. But it's going to remind you a lot. Like when you watch this and then watch Laura, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's there's similarities." I feel like I've I feel like I've I've 
seen it at some point. Like yeah, or, in your class. Movie. You probably read about it in your book too. It's a classic noir movie. No, it, it wasn't, no I, I had a bunch of old movies at like my grandfather's house because there was nothing else really to do there. And so we would like collect old VHS. Oh, you can watch it on YouTube. Those. The whole thing's on YouTube. I mean, YouTube has a very good collection of noir, full noir movies. Yeah, yeah, they really yeah, do. So, so does archive.org uh, because YouTube does not have uh, Border Incident, which is a great film. Another another Otto Preminger uh, movie and classic um, movie night extravaganza episode that was a noir film, kind of, is uh, Man with the Golden Arm. We talked about that with uh, John Barber, the guy. From- so we didn't talk about it. No, we didn't talk. Like we, <laughs> we were supposedly talked about it with John Barber. <laughs> You know what's interesting though? It's like when it comes to this film and like Riley Keough's performance, like you can tell she's good at playing like free spirited type of Yeah. Women. I've noticed that in her acting. And she, in my opinion, she's so underrated as an actress because of the fact she's the granddaughter of Elvis Presley and the daughter of Lisa Marie, who I. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Like yeah, I just learned that today. I didn't even know that until oh. you told, you said that. So yeah, that. she, um, she's got that Presley look. Yeah, Obviously, he's got the resemblance, but it's it's. That's you know, why you guys were talking about Elvis before the show started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's that family resemblance. She has, well, this, she has this really playful, she has this really playful way of of looking. I don't really know how to describe it, but like she has this way of like, yeah, almost like she doesn't like take things totally seriously. Like the smile she gives him and stuff, and and the way that you know when he finally like finds her, uh, she kind of just puts her head and so, like does this thing or whatever and like stretches, and yeah. he's just like weirded out by it, like. It's a very, it's a very interesting, like, because she has those big eyes, and yeah. and I think that 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 kind of makes it like uh, you can't really tell exactly what she's thinking, and then she does that stretch, and he's just like, what the what the fuck? Like, she, like, she, has, she, like she has her father's eyes, but she has the coloring of like the Presley eyes, because I've really analyzed like where she who she looks like, considering I get told I look like her. I'm like, you know, the Presleys don't have these big, big old like eyes. And so when I was looking into, I'm like, you know, everyone kept saying like, oh, you know, she has the Presley nose, the Presley like chin, the Presley like lips. And I'm like, well, she must have her father's eyes for sure, because they're big, these big, big blue eyes that are just so like, like perfect for playing like free spirited women who just have a not a care in the world and are not afraid to let loose and whatnot. I'm yeah. surprised. People are surprised she didn't take up music. I'm like, well. If she took up music, that would be three. Yeah, you gotta be careful of that because Priscilla Presley tried and failed miserably, and or not not Priscilla. I'm sorry, the daughter. Uh, the daughter yeah. failed miserably, and then the grandson was on American Idol, and he tried to look like Elvis, sort of sounded like Elvis, sang an Elvis song, and he still didn't get on like very <laughs> So it's like you gotta be a little. I mean, this is why I'm sure. Uh. You know, a lot of kids of famous rock stars don't always want to go that route. Like they, yeah. they usually go actor route instead of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, look. I mean, rumor Willis, she can do both though. She can sing and act. Yeah, but Bruce like, did both. Demi Moore yeah. doesn't really sing, and Bruce Willis definitely should never sing again. So, I had the Moonlight and soundtrack and I, on cassette back in the day, and I would play that thing. I still have a Bruno record. I shouldn't play like I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, I 
I do feel for for people that have famous parents in the music industry because then so much pressure is put on you to be that person. Whereas it's I like, think oh, actors, what, I'm gonna act or you're gonna sing or you're gonna do this. Yeah, or I think with that. actors, it's a little easier. Like I just binge watched all of the new season of Stranger Things, and you know the actress that plays kind of like the quirky uh, older actress that was in the ice cream store the season before, and now she's part of the gang, uh, the Scooby Gang. She is Ethan Hawke and Uma uh, Thurman's daughter. My and God. I was like, she looks a lot like Uma, but you don't notice that she looks like you and, uh, not Uma McGregor, sorry, Ethan, Ethan Hawke until she smirks. And then you're like, yeah. oh my God, reality bites. Like she just yeah. did a reality bites smirk. Like it's just so creepy because you start to see, it's like same with Kravitz's kid and yes. Bonet. It's like, Oh yeah, I see the Lisa, but then every once in a while the Kravitz sneaks in. So you're like, it is weird. It, I'm yeah. not gonna lie, it's weird. You're not getting Jefferson vibes from that. I'm sorry, what? Je the Jeffersons, where uh, Lenny Kravitz's mother was in. I know, <laughs> I know. It's, well, it's like that's a legacy family, right? They've been in show business. It's like Drew Barrymore, you know, Zoe. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's like Rashida Jones or something. Like you see it in their. You anyway. see a lot of Peggy in her for it's sure. Totally um, it's there's a lot of I, I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of actresses in this movie who uh, are like the like descended from kind of famous people. Like oh yeah, I mean, Zosha Mamet uh, obviously is David Mamet's daughter, which it's so fucking weird. They, Is that like, weird? Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about we talked a lot about uh, David Mamet because we did The Edge um, yeah. like a few weeks ago. So we had like a whole but yeah, like once you see them next to each other, they do look alike. But like I wouldn't because I've seen her in so many things and like. I don't know. David Mamet kind of looks like a, a high school football coach. That's he does. Been like, that's been, you know, like, you no, know, like a, a teacher resigns. Look, this is, this is a perfect, like, like a teacher resigns and he's just the high school football coach gets hired to, uh, <laughs> to be on the whatever. And is very insecure about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, beret and everything, but also, just, <laughs> also Sydney Sweetie. Uh, Sydney Sweeney is in this film, and yeah. now she's a big star from Euphoria because everyone hates Cassie know, right? right now. I know it's so crazy. I it's didn't recognize like... her because there wasn't enough bisexual lighting in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and there I was know, a little bit of bisexual lighting, lighting in this. So. <laughs> is my bisexual lighting good enough? <laughs> Mine's the best. Yeah, yours is the best. You have purple lighting, so that works. I just, I... LA, LA is just full of bisexual lighting. So that's all I know about it. Did you guys? Um, um, did you guys catch the Shining reference in this movie? No, no, I didn't. Uh, the tile, the, yes. the aqua tile in the bathroom. That was supposed yes. to be a shout out to the Overlook Hotel tile in the bath. Um, yeah, from the All Shining. Right. I can. Which, I can, by I the way, uh, if you stay at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, which is what the Overlook is based off of, uh, in Sta in Estes Park, Colorado, uh, there is no tile that looks that nice. There is no Kubrick rooms. All the rooms are very Victorian looking. There's no, there's no cool. Uh, here's the thing. The carpet's not there. Uh, they put in a maze after the movie became came out and became popular, and people realized that was the hotel that inspired Stephen King. So they put a actual hedge maze out front now, um, which wasn't there before. And they do uh, really fun ghost hunting and seance stuff. You can stay there for Halloween. But the most hilarious thing is it's a heritage hotel, so it's very beautiful and historic. And it's often rented out for years and years all the way through for weddings and inter inter wedding anniversaries. And people don't realize the Shining connection at all. So like, <laughs> you will see a bunch of people like me 
taking pictures with my friend, you know, girlfriend holding hands in the hallway, like the sisters. And they're not, they have no idea what's going on. They are, they're just there because it's a pretty hotel for a wedding. Why is everybody <laughs> taking a picture by our room? You know, did you guys <laughs> know that when it came to casting, Dakota Johnson was originally supposed to play uh, Riley yeah. Keough's character? What is she, okay, so she had a scheduling conflict. Can we figure out what it was? Oh, because know. what was she doing? Was she doing Suspiria? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, well, then I'll that give her a been. pass. I'll give her a pass. Also, uh, there's a Spider Man reference, uh, the specifically the oh, amazing Spider Man. Yeah, they really try to hold there her. are so many, specifically uh, the amazing Spider Man because that's the films that Andrew Garfield did as Spider Man. Well, he has a comic. He wakes up with a Spider-Man comic. to his hand. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Spider-Man reference. I mean, they definitely... Yeah, Toby McGuire was a little with sticky hands. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> made a lot of Spider-Man references. And can I also say, Topher Grace yeah. is such a spaz in real life. I tried to interview him once. Uh, oh, yeah, so I, I another person that wasn't Spider Man, like one of the Spider Man movies, like the McGuire ones. We don't talk yeah. about Spider Man three. When Topher Grace was at, so when I was at Lucasfilm, I would interview actors that would show up there for MTV TRL, which is before all of y'all's time. I'm sure you no, know. No, 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 no. I know TRL. Okay, okay, so TRL. Every time we premiered a new movie, TRL would come to Skywalker Ranch with a bunch of celebrities to watch the movie. And usually Lucas George's kids would handpick who would come. And so the so for Revenge of the Sith, I was there uh, and I was wrangling. I was a Wookiee wrangler, so I had to make sure that our Wookiee didn't pass out because it's super hot at Skywalker Ranch. Yo, Wookiee so, wrangler uh, sounds like the best job. I mean, Wookiee Fluffer would be a little better. but well, I was in charge of making sure that Fallout Boy and that 70s show cast did not a get too stoned where they'd get lost because Skywalker Ranch is actually pretty big. Uh, anyway, my point. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I didn't care if they spoke. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is, I didn't. Or sexually harass anybody because I had interviewed Topher. I didn't interview for that too. I didn't interview. Oh, you didn't interview Ashton or Mila. So no, uh, I had interviewed Topher Ugh. about Star Wars about because he was a big fan. By the way, Michael Rosenbaum was there dressed as a, he brought a, he came to Skywalker Ranch in a French fry grease converted van. And he was also only wearing a brown robe the whole time he stayed there for the weekend because he, he wanted to look like a Jedi. And it was the, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But Topher, <laughs> I was trying to interview him about Star Wars and he can't complete a sentence he is very sporadic in how he speaks. And I speak attention deficit. And I could tell he was attention deficit. But he was also so nervous to be quoted on StarWars.com about Star Wars that he wanted to look at my notes. And he wanted to look at everything. Danny, we did not know about Danny yet. So I'm not going to say anything about Danny because he was okay. I mean, the Scientology thing, but we overlooked that. It's the other thing that wasn't, a, that wasn't common knowledge yet. But Topher, Topher is Topher in everything he does. So when you watch him on that 70s show, when you watch him in, uh, what was the drug movie that was supposed to be for parent? Like Traffic. So when you see him in Traffic, right, he's uh, completely spazzy. When you see him in this movie, he's still Topher. He doesn't un-Topher himself. Oh, it's Conan Neutron, host of Protonic Reversal. Conan. And, uh, you know, oh, wow. 
of Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. So I was just saying that in this movie, Topher is very Tophery. Tophery? Is that it? Can I just make him into an adjective? Now? Yes, Marty, you can. Yes. yes. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I being a little too harsh? Because I love Topher Grace. I love his. I, I think no. I think you're spot on, and it's it's funny because as someone that grew up like watching that '70s show. Like it's funny that in this movie he's still kind of just like siphon and like having a beer. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like he's back at the basement in Red Foreman's house, just like kicking it. And no, he feels like more like Danny's character than he does his character, right? From that. Yeah, show. but but and still, like I, I'm just saying, like the vibe, like the vibe of like just the yeah. two of them sitting in the middle of L.A. Like you know. And by the way, that weird. is Silver Lake. So that's also something. Um, every every neighborhood has its own vibe. Like Echo Park is totally different. Los Feliz is totally different. Highland Park, uh, Eagle Rock, everything's different. I'm in North Hollywood, just like the poor hipster. hipster I like to call yeah. it hipster on a budget. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's the, maybe one of the only affordable areas left. Yeah, because I'm an actual screenwriter and writer, which means I have zero money and no trust fund and I'm old. So, like, I am in, like, budget hipster zone. But, like, <laughs> Silver Lake, I will say this in this movie. None of these characters would be able to afford Silver Lake right now. None of them. Oh. Unless they're independently wealthy characters, which some of them kind of hint that they are. But Andrew Garfield's character, no way would he afford that apartment. Well, he's, getting, he's, he's in the process of getting evicted. <laughs> I mean, I don't see in this movie, they I seem, mean, to, um, they seem to imply that he had something going on, like a like a career kind of going on, and it stalled out, and then he had a breakup. Yeah. And yeah. You don't. I mean, they don't spoon feed you any of that information, but you kind of get that information from his all, all like his vibe. The fact that he, like every time someone asks him, like, "Oh, so how's work?" and he goes in that whole. I love that rant where he's like, "Everyone always wants to know how's work. What are you doing for work? Yeah. Where's work?" And he's sitting there on the on the floor or whatever. Um, it, I will, wait, wait. I will tell you a secret about LA. You can tell. <laughs> you can tell on the affluence of the hipsterness on what kind of actors you see in the cafe. So like I mentioned Republic of Pi earlier, during the daytime, it's all screenwriters. At nighttime, it turns into date zone for guys in their like 40s and 50s who were soap stars who are now dating 20 something ingenues. Oh so that's, man. Yeah, I'm so like so I, was sitting there, I was sitting there and I didn't realize how late it got. When open mic starts, that's when the guy playing uh, clash covers on his didgeridoo starts up. That's when you know the date night starting. And I remember I looked up for my laptop and I could I could name. Oh, it's a guy from Falcon's Crest. Oh, it's the guy from um, uh, a Melrose Place. Oh, it's the guy from like I could I I knew their faces. Anybody from General Hospital? Because they all have plastic surgery, and they all have that look of soap star, like good looking aged soap stars, but not like super good looking but good looking enough to like pull a 20 something out of bumble or whatever they're dating from yeah <laughs> and those those girls are definitely like early 20 actresses you know like they're just starting as they don't know any better they don't know that they could probably be with michael bay types they don't need to like be with the general hospital types but that's yeah. what you know and this movie does a little bit of that because it shows you the hierarchy of people depending on the neighborhood that he stumbles into because he's yeah. still it's not just silver lake he is all over the place in la in this movie yeah. and it's very interesting to see the the groupings of people that he 
that he runs into based on what neighborhood he's in. Well, it seems like his main crowd that he uh, seems to be friends with is that guy, uh, Alan or whatever, right? The guy from um, uh, It's Always Sunny that, that plays yeah. one of the foils. So his main friend is that guy. And it seems yeah. like the, the adjacent friend group, uh, you know, that includes the the girls that are working for Shooting Star or whatever. And, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and the record store. Yeah. Stuff. Like, yeah. It, it seems like his adjacent friend group is the one at the center of most of the plot of this movie, right? Like, he's just not close enough to them to uh, actually know what's going it's on. Also, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see how many of these people don't have real jobs. Well, but they're, they like, able either, to survive. They seem to either be, like, waitresses or uh a lot of times like it seems like some of them are um like you know the other work is i mean prostitutes but like escorts i guess is the better term for it yeah but, but also like actresses like it seems like acting yeah <laughs> I, I, I mean, mean but it, it seems like a lot of the time it's that kind of vibe that people have right like they're just trying to make ends meet well it's also they, you do whatever you can creatively too like i i mean i've had every job from singing telegram which, by the way, I did mention earlier, I cannot sing. So I did not last long, but I looked good in the costume. So they kept me for like a whole year. So like, that's why. But you do jobs like that. I've worked at record stores, comic book stores. I've been a waitress. I've been a bar back. I've been a bartender. I've been a, a drag queen assistant, a dominatrix assistant. I've been a sex worker brothel receptionist. I've been a go-go dancer. I've been a, I don't want to say drug mule because I didn't, I you didn't, you didn't get through to the to, to the full dominatrix. You you only made it to the. the you know, I I don't like bodily liquids everywhere, so I'm um, all right. Yeah, I'm fair seeing, enough. You know what I mean? So it's like it was more fun to be the person that was the assistant getting the supplies, but also I was sort of like the booking agent. So I knew who was coming in, who was coming out. So oh, that's, I, that's I mean, not what I, I imagined it being like. Hand me my whip, and you're like, <laughs> well, you're like when you're a writer. You will take any job you can so you can keep writing. And then when you get a job as a writer, you tend to burn out. So a lot of writers like non-writer jobs. Just, I mean, unless you make a lot of money, then it's like all bets are off. But for me, like I'm doing a, I'm a game writer, so I'm writing games, murder. I'm basically getting paid to plan out very elaborate murders, which is awesome. But now I can never really kill anyone in real life because they're going to, I'm totally busted. So that's ruined that pipe dream for me to be a serial killer. I can't do that now, but. They're like, oh, that's Bonnie's, uh, you know, she wrote that in, in Hunt a Killer and we can actually track I know. I know. the game yeah. itself. But this, I love this movie though, to show the gamut of people with real jobs, people with jobs, right? Like jobs to survive. But then there's like the influencers, like the party, the full-time party kids which is actually more a New York thing than a West Coast thing, but I'm seeing it more and more right now with influencers going like to TikTok every house single TikTok mansion. I'm sorry, what? There's like a TikTok mansion. Yeah. Oh, no, there's a TikTok. You know, there's Billionaire's Row, but there's TikTok Row now. So you, there are mansions next. Like, so uh, John. I Paul, hate to tell you guys, TikTok mansion. Working? TikTok mansion won't exist under communism. So don't, don't, don't even think. The restaurants will. Oh, uh, there's so many influencers with mansions in LA that it just irritates the old money people so much. It's so fun. To is, that why, that. is that why Bill Maher is as angry as he is all the time? Like Bill Maher is constantly railing on like Gen Z influencers. Is it because the mansions keep popping up? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. But also I love that. I love that dichotomy, but I also love any kind of conflict of old money versus new money that because yeah. i have no money so i'm not even in the spectrum 
I'm throwing well, money. Well, yeah, that's like uh, it's always it's always sunny. Um, made that joke where they're like, no, that's what we call uh new poor. You see, we're old poor. We know how to survive yeah. when the economy. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting on the stupid poor. Yeah, that's. <laughs> no, I'm I mean, old, old listen, I, I I feel you. I have like two hundred dollars in my checking account right now. Like, I, I do mean, not have. I, that's, I'm not. This is more interesting. That's all I have to say about. <laughs> I, so, I just, I'm just kind of offended that I'm not that I haven't been asked into some kind of weird mystery yet where like someone gets murdered and then you know I have to solve it and like I'm, I don't know anything going on besides I the do podcast, wonder though know, like, how many bodies are buried in Griffith Park because I've only been up to that it's like a really if you're not from LA or if you're not familiar with Griffith Park it's like the most famous hiking trail but a lot of wheeling and dealing goes on there so you see a lot of actors and directors and stuff who are trying to get in shape so I think the last time I went up there I saw Jared Leto, and I think he was smoking while he was walking slowly while checking his phone. So I don't know what kind of hike regiment he was on, but it was, but it was also like he kept looking around, hoping people would recognize him. He was playing. He's playing the Marlboro Man. He has to smoke. He was doing something. <laughs> I don't know what time. Morbius brand, Morbius brand cigarettes. Uh, yeah. You know, the, I Tony, that, Tony was going to cut it and say something. And oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I, I was going to ask because I was driving back from Catterwall, so I I had not familiar with what was discussed on the show. I wanted to know if you talked about the homeless king at all, aka. Oh, yeah, let's, talk about that. let's talk about that. Go ahead. Friend of the show and actual friend David Gow, and he remarkable keystone role in, in this. Like it's he's very. Like I like that element of this a lot, and I think that it could be a little more threadbare plot-wise without that character, without him tying together, without it being like super revealing. Like I like the, I mean, it's to me, it's a clear homage to, to Lynch. Oh like, yeah, like all the mysterious characters, like who's that guy? Like, yeah, that, that kind of thing. But <clears throat> David Yao is so perfect in it and so well written because the way you do those kinds of characters is you don't show their life story. You just have them show up on like what is an average day to them, you know. Like yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. there's a uh, maybe there's a guy that's going up to Griffith Park and doing the thing once twice a week. Maybe who knows, right? <laughs> and like that's just what his week looks like. And so I love that you just see that slice of life, but you're like, what's that dude all about? That's yeah. crazy. But and then I think that's you, that works really well in this. I will tell you, it ruined Griffith Park a little bit for me because after I saw this movie. I'm like, is this what happens in the Hollywood Hills? Is this what happens in Griffith Park? Is this far so more? I yeah. like went on the search for the cult and the cave situation and all these. There's a lot of uh, geo. Just follow uh, a coyote. Just follow a coyote. There is like a lot of geocaching sites in Griffith Park. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. That was something that was yeah. pretty popular like 15 yeah. years ago. I don't know if it still is. But there's also a lot of weird ass cult symbolism in Griffith yeah. Park and up in Hollywood Hills. And you have to remember cults are a thing that have been in LA since cults, right? So like not just the Manson family, there's like five or no, six. No, no, predating that, like Masonic era and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and Scientology, Scientology doesn't And Bonnie, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to railroad you, but I also like that the last bookstore is in here because that's one of my favorite places. I know, mine too. Though it's I will so say Iliad, awesome. I think personally Iliad would have been a better bookstore to have than Last bookstore because last bookstore is very tourist trappy. It is, and they didn't even use the visuals of like the weird portal full of books and stuff. Like, how do you use last last bookstore and not? I, use you, that? I had I got so frustrated last time I was in that store because there were so many people just there for their Instagram moments, not even there yeah, to sure. buy books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, "Fuck you, get out of here!" But Iliad is my bookstore in North Hollywood. Yeah, it's the biggest used bookstore, but they use it for filming. So I think you was, they have filmed, was filmed there. What were you saying? 
Do they have zines? They do. They have everything. Nice. They, I got a mortician's manual there. Nice. Nice. They have everything. So the, I mean, the city, the city has something that's kind of similar with a uh, Strand, the Strand bookstore. The Strand, yeah, yeah. I know the Strand yeah, bookstore. When, when you're look, when when you tour, especially if you've been touring for a while, you know where every good bookstore every is. Bookstore. Every yeah. City. yeah, for sure. And the Strand is legendary. Yeah. yeah. And, Did you guys uh, talk about the club underneath uh, Hollywood Forever? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was kind of amazing. I did too. I like that. I wish it was real. <laughs> well, that's the I, thing, though. I, maybe it is. Like, maybe it um, is. Is that yeah, cool? Not cool enough? enough. I, I, I like. Here. I like that. I like that he's presumably lived in LA for enough time in this movie that he should know kind of what his weird adjacent friend group gets into, and he still eats the whole cookie. Which, like, yeah. I like. I saw him eat the whole cookie, and I was like, dude, that's probably dosed with something. Why would you do oh, that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, in his defense, as someone that isn't really a drug taker. And like with the amount of stuff he has going on, like I could totally see it being like, oh, shh. and then like, like, re like realizing it later. I think that's understandable. Like you have to understand. Again, it's just an Alice people... in Wonderland. It's yeah, yeah. Wonderland. exactly. Eat me, eat me kind of parable. Absolutely. So that's, you know, that's, I, I, I also, I also like his, uh, like, I, he's obviously smoking weed at first and and when the actress comes in she's like what's that smell and he's like oh it's a skunk and then he actually gets sprayed by the skunk and it yeah. the smell falls and the, him everywhere I right thought it was like the running like, gag for like the yeah. entire thing which by really the good. way if i was raised in the midwest and i will tell you uh the only time i've ever been sprayed by a skunk was when i lived in san francisco right next to golden gate park because they're <laughs> everywhere and yeah, people right. thought I had like scored the best stanky pot what ever. And they're like, <laughs> I have to say, no, no, no. That's what an actual skunk smells like when you get sprayed. Because I was like high. That's why they call it skunk. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it was a skunk. I, I pulled up. My parents were potheads, so I knew all I this stuff really, really well. <laughs> I tried to pick up a skunk when I was high because I thought it was a cat. It was like a whole peppy with two moments. Marijuana, not even yeah, one. So that, that scene in the movie with the skunk in the pot, I'm like, yeah, that's real. That's a thing. That's definitely 100%. I, uh, so I've had I've had a lot of close close calls because they're everywhere. Like they're like I'm in upstate New York, so they're like oh just, yeah, they're just families of skunks. They run down the road all the time. Some of them are like you find out which skunks are meaner than others. Like there's one skunk that lives up by the college that's gotten uh like I don't know like aggressive enough with people that it chases people down sometimes. Well, never go any, go, don't go near baby skunks because they can't control their spray. Yeah, yet. they haven't figured it oh. out. And mating season's a bad time to be around skunks. Yeah, yeah so, it's so just like the song "Baby Skunk." Two summer, don't do that. So, so two summers ago, uh, I, I was, uh, or last summer maybe even, I was like, I, I ride my the scooter around sometimes to like just fuck around and go to town or whatever. And uh, there was this baby skunk that clearly didn't know what the fuck it was doing, and I scooted right past it, and I saw it. It, it got ready to do the thing, but didn't oh, really yeah. know what it was doing. So I was like, oh my god, thank god. But I'm terrified this year because you know I have Audrey and. Uh, I don't know whether she's going to, like, because she chases down whatever it is. And I've had, like, a couple close encounters with, I think, rabbits. But, like, you can't tell, like, in the dark if, whether it's a rabbit or, like, a well, skunk. Well, I'm going to tell rabbit you season, now, skunk if season, you, rabbit season, if you, know? you or your pet get sprayed, just DM me and I will give you the link to the only thing that gets rid of that smell. And it's not tomato juice. It's not tomato paste. It's not anything that Reddit tells you. It's a special thing. And the only reason I know that is because I was raised with hillbillies. And they sell they sell it for like really cheap on Amazon. So just let me know if you do get sprayed. I will be your one stop MythBuster. Well, for thanks that. for that. I don't. I don't. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hope I don't. 
That's <laughs> I don't get yeah, just don't try to use water because it's an oil. So it'll get all over you and it gets on your furniture and it gets on your clothes and it gets on your hair and it gets on your pet. I had to, uh, I was banished from Lucasfilm for a week because I had the smell and I could not figure out how to get it off of me until I posted something on Twitter and some, some hillbilly from the Appalachia was like, Oh, I got, I got the perfect recipe for that. So, and it worked. So (laughs) it's like, it's not called skunk away, but it has sort of like a Simpsons, like, company kind of title to it so <laughs> um i i know that i know that you have to go at 9 30 so we'll cut around at, uh 9 30 but i have one more clip i wanted to play and it's yeah, our, go ahead. it's it's andrew garfield talking about the parrot and, and... nice what do you think is a parrot thing oh, the parrot oh gosh <laughs> the parrot well um, I, I have no, I have no, I, well for me it's like, I, no, I can say what are actually making sounds live when you were filming. Hell no. <laughs> 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 it's sarcastic. Hmm? What is sarcastic? Uh, well, I, I mean, for me, I think what, what I like about the final scene of the film is that he's still obsessed with the thing that he was obsessed with at the beginning. And actually, I think maybe that's the point of his life, is that he's meant to just be obsessed with things that have no answer. And actually, that maybe the tugging of the thread is enough, and you don't have to get to the end of the thread, uh, maybe until you die. Um, so he's maybe he's maybe what he's gifted at, what, he's, what this fucked up person is, is gifted at and is, has, has talent at, is the thing that he's meant to be doing, which is just uncovering things that maybe have no meaning, but maybe sometimes they will. Um, and I think that there's a there's a really beautiful thing of like not even the woman who owns the parrot knows, and he's like he just like knocks on the door at the beginning of the film and been like, what the fuck is that parrot saying? And she and, and he would have got his answer, and maybe you know it would have been a shorter film. The man with the squibble hit the deck. I think this movie is completely on my wavelength. What was your experience in getting to the same wavelength as the script is and getting to this bizarre version of Silver Lake? That guy that's like, this movie is completely on my wavelength. Yeah, of course it is. Look at that. Guy. <laughs> I, I, that's the number one thing I hate at question and answer sessions, whether it's at like the New Beverly or if it's like a Comic Con thing. There's always somebody who wants to be the expert in the room of the movie and try to out-expert the screenwriter or the director or the lead actor. And it's always frustrating because it's like, shut up. And I just remember the Donnie Darko one for Comic-Con and Richard Kelly, he does not like the public. I mean, he's a cool dude and I like, he's a nice guy, but he is pained to go to these things. And I just remember someone quoting a Donnie Darko quote to him saying, how much did they pay you to be here? Which is one that, you know, was the character says to Patrick Swayze's character. Mm-hmm. And and no one in the audience got it. And they thought they were just being rude to Richard. And he realized he's just. And then there was another guy in that room that thought the time travel book was a real book. And he was trying to get it, Richard to, to admit to it. And it's like, it's not a real it's not a real time travel is not real, dude. <laughs> There's got to be some goddamn time too. traveling around here. That book's got to be telling you. Show me, show me where the book is. Well, this movie <laughs> has like a Donnie Darko vibe to it in a way because yeah. you have all these cryptic things going on and you want to solve the codes. You want to figure out what is all this code within code within code in ciphers and stuff. So it's, you know, I'm sure there's fans. I'm not, maybe I'm one of them, but I'm sure there's fans out there that are like, 
I have to find the truth of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's lot, a thing. Yeah. It, it really is a thing. The, the cult following, all the follow, people who love this movie are like, there's there's more to it than meets the eye. They're still trying to solve all the every little code, every little puzzle. But I, it, it is funny how, you know, you try to try to be smarter than someone as sweet as Andrew Garfield. It's just, come on, man. Right. I know. The, uh, I know. If I got to ask him a question, it would be this. Will you marry me? Ah, oh, <laughs> and then he'd say yes, and this would be a whole other type of show. Yes. <laughs> um, no, the, the hobo's code stuff is very real because um, I, I, I've known a lot of people that were very obsessed with uh, – with with hobo code as a thing. Oh yeah, no, that is real. I mean, I used it in the Agatha Christie game for Hunt a Killer, mainly to teach people that this is a real thing. And it's if you go around the, um, a lot of rural parts of the United States, you can still see those codes uh, drawn into uh, fence posts uh, because you know they would draw a code saying you know that this family uh, there was a there was a special symbol for uh, Bible thumpers. So if you like professed your love for Jesus Christ, you get a free meal. And then right. they'd show like another code for like <laughs> profess your love for Jesus Christ, get a free meal, come on down. I mean, if you're a starving hobo, <laughs> and and it's different than homelessness, right? So hobo was a way of life. Uh, I know, it was I know, not like homelessness is like, now. I know like a dozen people that are still that still have that as a way of life. Like Yeah. I mean, so, there's boxcar people, there's drifters, there's there's also people, I mean, there's, uh, it, and I'm not saying that I'm not trying to belittle or, or talk down or condescend. It's just a different way of life. But I love that. Yeah, gutter, in this like movie, gutter punks. There's a lot of gutter punks that still do. Yeah, it. like gutter punks. And gutter punks have their own code too. Um, I remember that when I worked at CB, when I was at CBGB's, you could see different code that would be in the bathroom that would mean for different things. Uh, different stalls meant different whole other by the way that bathroom should never that's its own secret code that cbg <laughs> that was a whole that should have just had a hazmat symbol yes. on the door um and the fact that it's john varvado's store now it blows my mind yeah. they have but those they you, have those uh, rainbow they have rainbow gatherings um like oh god like in the like and and the people that like some of the people they go to those rainbow gather, gatherings and travel across the country like just kind of partying in the woods that and stuff. That was the like, first time I ever did peyote was at one of those. Yeah, um, well, so a, a good amount of the people that are, like, that go to those are kind of into the idea of, like, a hobo code because a lot oh, of them yeah. travel. A lot of them yeah, jump yeah, onto yeah. the trains and they travel on the train still. I mean, not I, you can't really do it with, uh, like, passenger trains. Like, you do well, it with like deadheads. They were deadheads. Yeah. A lot of them were Grateful Dead. Uh, they yeah, just my dad was a deadhead. And then fish heads, they'd follow the band fish around. Yeah, well, so, so I had a lot of, I had a few people that when I was younger, because this was one of the stops on the, like, it used to be one of the stops. Now we don't have a working train anymore, but like, um, people still stop here a lot, like going across the country. And uh, people would tell me like, yeah, like we still use hobo code. Like it was kind of a, more yeah. of like a, a, the hipster side of it, I think. But people get into that idea. Like, I love like, that well, idea. Yeah. But I also, if you look behind the signs of the Hollywood sign, there is some weird shit written on the back of that. There's some really interesting oh, yeah. graffiti and different, like, you know, you're going to have your random, like, bathroom stall kind of graffiti. But for the most part, there's a lot of really cryptic symbols and things. And then a lot of trees in Griffith Park have, have really weird symbols on them. So uh, it's, you know, but you have to remember this is the era of the, you know, the Manson family. Even before that, there was a lot, there's a lot of UFO cults in, in LA. There's a lot of, 
Uh, I mean, there's the whole idea of like the Illuminati, right? Like, yeah. you know, that's kind of everyone's favorite uh, go-to conspiracy I theory. I like Illuminati like, is so mainstream. I feel like Illuminati is like McDonald's of conspiracy now that everyone yeah. knows it. So I almost get a little like when it's brought Dude, up in movies. Lizard people are like Burger King. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it in Doctor Strange, the new one? That they're like, and now you're meeting the Illuminati. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> once once Marvel play. drops once Marvel drop like references your uh, conspiracy theory, it's a dick. No, I will tell you the best conspiracy theory ever is the Denver International Airport. That whole airport is a conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, with with the with the gigantic scary ass horse statue with the flame. Oh, his name is Lucifer. Yeah, yeah, and he is beautiful. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, do you want to talk about this movie? <laughs> but um. We yeah, did. You're yeah, just late. We talked about everything. You're late. Uh, yeah, yeah. You missed a lot, bro. I, I threw a fucking four-day festival with 50 bands. And that's my excuse. I feel like it's <laughs> what's your, okay, Conan, what's your favorite? What is your epitome most favorite moment in this movie? I mean, so so crazily, I didn't actually watch this one when it came what? out. It just missed me. So I, But I watched it last week. Like right okay. before. Okay. Well, what's your favorite moment? Yeah, like I said, I think all of all of the scenes with David, yeah, with the homeless king are gold because I feel like it's the payoff to all of the um all the searching, all the, the yeah. conspiracy chasing and stuff like that. Yeah. I think some things do it better than others, but when you actually find the epiphany of of the you know, spoiler alert, everybody, that it's like, oh, it's these rich people basically like you know, doing rich people shit. Like they like they actually do. Yeah. And there's this sort of matter of factness to all of it. Like just that, like, oh, because you think it's like what did you think it was going to be? Of course, it's going to be rich people getting one over. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what did you think it was going to be? I mean, yeah. of course it's that. And yeah, I love no, he, he felt like, it, it, looked he like, felt like it was this whole really dark conspiracy theory that was going to have all these moving parts. It's just like, yeah. no, it's rich no. people burying themselves in the ground. It's not the Red Lodge. It's it, not, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just not like, Peaks. it's not Twin Peaks. Even though you want it to be, it's not. It's like pharaohs in Egypt, but instead yeah. in LA. Yeah. yeah. Conan, what did you think of my twin Riley Keough? Yes, yes, very good. Five stars. The guy that the guy that plays uh Jefferson Sevens, uh Severance, <laughs> that guy kind of looks like Hunter Biden. I don't know. <laughs> so I kept Ooh, on oh, really? I, I think so. I think he kind of so I don't know. I just kept on assuming in my head that it was Hunter Biden. But... <laughs> That's what happened to Bo, really. Is he, he's actually the one underground right now. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Damn, cancer. Bro. It wasn't cancer at all. Um did you talk about the owl lady at all? No, we didn't talk about. Oh no, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Owl Lady. The Owl. See, they don't. We don't get any kind of explanation for that. I mean, except for the fact that, like, uh, you know, you know, like, except for the fact that, like, maybe, maybe, or maybe not, it's supernatural, and it's this. You know, he's come up with this theory, or maybe the guy's trying to silence him or whatever, and not have him looked at. But like, you don't. It's like the get like she actually exists, and then. You don't really get any payoff for that either. I thought that was more of a Twin Peaks homage, to be honest. Like, I didn't really expect payoff. But I was also kind of slightly obsessed with the face cast guy. The guy who collects the face cat, the cast. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's, uh, what's what's that actor's name? He's in a lot of stuff. I like that guy a lot. Yeah, but that character, it's kind of creepy when you think about it. Because I think there was a serial killer that did take uh, face casts of everyone he killed and he had a collection of them. I can't remember the name of the, I should know this, but it was a, I didn't know if it was a no bosh to that or if that's just a coincidence, but sure. uh, he would kill them as he was. I don't know if you've ever had a mask uh, made, a plaster mask made of your, of your face, but you have to have mm -hmm. straws 
in your mouth and your nose so you can yeah yeah, yeah and this serial killer actually killed he he gb i think he gbh them or roofied them and then when they were passed out he would kill them Right. As he was making the mask. Which is clearly what the cops think is going on, right? They think it's something along those lines and like, oh, he just took his own life for no reason. All right. Whatever. Yeah. But like, I love that he's got the little room, right? Yeah. So for his reasons and rationale. It's like, right? just it's like this guy's around the bend. It's like, oh my God, he's got. And then it turns out that being that being a plot point that helps Andrew Garfield's character, I think actually is pretty earned. Like, yeah. I don't think that's an easy one because it's like, plus you get the comedy of it being, which by the way, this movie is very funny. I think oh, I, yeah, I, totally. I didn't realize it was funny. That's like, oh, I, you know, I don't even have, do I even have a VHS recorder? But then, like, you, t- you know, his mom keeps trying to get him to watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. It, like that's a whole, like, running gag. And, and then, and then I like, I like they tie it into the painting that he sees later on. And it's yeah. the woman that his mom likes in the movie. Which has yeah. a vertigo. That's like a vertigo moment in a way, a reference to Alfred Hitchcock and vertigo in the famous painting. Um, yeah, Did this- you talk about the songwriter? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. And, and I mentioned even that, that, that about uh, the song used for the trailer, Never My Love by the Associations, and how it takes on a whole new meaning. Um, oh, but but I Bonnie has to watch it. It. Sorry, uh, I was giving Tony's car a jump after we got back. So no, but Bonnie has to get off. I know at uh, nine thirty. So I will say that uh, <laughs> if you look at the trivia section on IMDb of this movie, there are some kind of interesting. There's some codes. Uh, well, there's some references <laughs> that I like. The mansion of the songwriters, the same shooting location of another great horror movie called the. Well, I shouldn't say a horror movie because this is not a horror movie. But it was a neon demon. I don't know if you saw that independent horror film about the model. Um, did you ever? Did you watch Neon Demon? It's good. So anyway, that's that's. All right. Here's the thing, LA. You will see the same shooting locations over and over yeah, and yeah. over in indie movies, and it's kind of fun to play. What was? What did I remember that from? What was that in? But, but I like that it's a character in this movie this time, rather than yeah. trying to like think it's somewhere else. Like, oh, it's like, oh, I know that block. You know, oh, that's where that you know that talk. Well, I will tell you, I went in search of that cave in Griffith Park, and yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah. Hollywood Hills, and there are. Um, you missed me talking about this earlier, kind of. There are walking tours that you can take. I love. That. I don't know if they've done them post COVID, but pre COVID, there used to be a under the Silver Lake walking tour, so you, they would show you all the different filming locations. <laughs> um, but it is. I will tell you, here's the thing I've learned since I moved here to L.A. Because I don't consider myself a Los Angelino. I'm more of a San Francisco kid still, but I'm trapped in the 90s mentally. So I will say that when you move to L.A., you think it's just going to be real housewives and influencers. You do have to search out for the weirdness beyond the hipsters. But this is such a city of a rich history of bizarreness and rich history of serial killers, cults. Uh, scandals, Hollywood scandals, uh, you know, unsolved murder mysteries, unsolved things that are still around. And it is interesting to know that even though LA rebuilds itself constantly, there still is lurking this seedy history of weirdness. And I, that's why I love this movie so much because it reminds you of that. It reminds you to look for the weirdness underneath all the like polish and shallowness. I just got a I just got a flashback to watching Letter Kenny when they the other was like Allah when you move to Allah. When you move to Allah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I wanted to end it on for my perce- perception of this movie. Again, I've seen this movie like 10 times. I always love this movie for the ciphers, for the characters, for the weirdness, and it is a good tour of LA. So if you've it never is. been to LA, 
it's a good way to pinpoint where you want to visit when you do visit. <laughs> so welcome to LA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Christina, final thoughts that you wanted to bring to this, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to have an hour or whatever to talk about Andrew Garfield or whatever in the after party. So Andrew Garfield yeah. or whatever. Yeah, uh, this this is a really good modern like near like a neo-noir film. It obviously has noir elements. There are some elements that aren't necessarily noir, but it's still, in my opinion, considered a neo-noir film with elements of thriller and comedy. Um, it's very underrated for sure. I mean, especially with. I feel like if COVID didn't happen, this movie would have been more of a success, but it has, it has a cult following people, you know, it, 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 the, this film really does pay tribute to like the Silver Lake, Los Angeles area. Clearly there's a lot of references of Andrew Garfield's career, which is a given there's homages to classic movies. We love that. And um, yeah, I, I really recommend this film. I know people in my community who love it, who are like, I've seen that film like 20 times. So a lot of my friends in my community were very excited that we were going over this. <laughs> and you get well, to see Andrew Garfield have sex. I mean. And, and, yeah, and that's your call. Like, yes. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Conan. <laughs> I know you didn't get to say a whole lot. No, um, no, you're right. But uh, yeah, you know, I don't. I guess I don't really need to. It's it's a great example of what a modern war is. You know, we talked all the way back to the beginning of the genre, and to see it now, which I feel like I talked earlier on the earlier episodes about the things I like about Brick and LA Confidential, and like the differences between them and how the genres change and evolve. There is a certain amount of self awareness that's almost baked in now. And this has that, but it manages to transcend that by sort of being self-aware of it and then kind of doing something interesting with it. I've seen stuff that's like David Lynch ripoff, and it's like, okay, you're not David Lynch. Stop that. You're you're just you're just annoying people. Like, stop doing that. <laughs> I didn't get those vibes from this one. I think it's honestly unique and interesting. I think they have a lot of there's a lot of really cool scenes here. Uh, it's long. It's a very long movie, but it doesn't feel that long because it's taking you on a journey right and and again i love as i said earlier the epiphany of like oh it's just rich people doing rich people shit that's it i i love that i mean because it's just sort of like what is more of, of a modern noir than that of the bad guys just you know getting away with whatever and justice not prevailing at all and like the idea of like you see the hobo mark at the end which is basically you know what is it keep quiet or whatever it is yeah and and like Clearly, that's a message, right? So, it, and you like that? It ends like that. Perfect noir. So, yeah. Um, Andy, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, you know, like Conan, I also missed this one. Uh, this this was my first time watching it as well, and uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, it reminded me very back, to, uh, way back to our very first episode, um, uh, "Kiss Me Deadly." It, it had kind of you know the 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 vibes of that. Um, but like, um, you know, but, but like how repo man, you know, took kiss me deadly and evolved it into whatever repo man is. This is, this is like another step in the, uh, bye. evolution. I have, to, I have to go. I agree with everything you said. I love you while I have to go. I'm so sorry. All right, buddy. Bye. Take care. Bye. Glad I got to see you. Take care. Um, yeah, no, no. It's like, like, you know, he had the vibes of repo man. Um, but not, uh, the swagger yeah yeah it had a different kind of swagger i mean 
Like, he's, got, he's, got, he's got the low-grade misogyny, but not necessarily uh, the swagger. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got, really. he's got this this uh this millennial this like liberal millennial swagger. You got the yeah. misogyny, but you, you smoke yeah. enough weed that like you just kind of <laughs> Sit, sitting there and talking about like how you know everybody's everything's connected and being profited off of, and like all your stuff is being tracked while they literally spy on a woman with a drone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean like like everybody... the contradictions. <laughs> and everybody's had that conversation where they smoke too much weed and start talking about how everything is connected. Um, we've all been there. Don't except, lie. Except Christina, apparently. Wait, I've had edibles, so. And you've had yeah, but there's something about actually smoking it. Like I don't it, smoke it, cigarettes, so why would I smoke weed? I mean, I can list off one reason to get high, but, you know, I... <laughs> Save it for the goddamn after party. Come on. <laughs> yeah, peer pressure for the after party. We're gonna do letterbox <laughs> one landers. Hey, the- I've been drinking, so I've had my mega pint. Yeah, we're doing letterbox one landers in the after party because I pulled them and forgot to send them. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Andy, is that? Uh, did you want to go with that? I, I, you know what? I've completely lost track of where I was going with it. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just end it there. Woofy fluffers. All right. Well, I was going to say this isn't a world with anyone that anyone with any sense stays in. You're living in a carnival, throwing little rings with oversized pop bottles, hoping to win a prize. What are you going to win? A two week vacation, a new car, a little money to retire on. The things you care about are useless where we're going. It's all just a shitty sawdust filled rabbit. (laughs) 